Please open your Bibles to Luke 22:35 through 38. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 882. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. And he said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy a new one. For I tell you that the scriptures must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Thank you, Mr. Cook. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us even as we lift this prayer to you, uh, that you would help us to lean upon you. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to hear, uh, believe, and obey your word. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So over the years, I've seen many parents with, the, with young drivers on the church property. It's a great place to teach an unexperienced driver how to drive. Uh, after 3 p.m., there's often very little traffic around the church and a lot of wide open spaces. None of our uh, budding drivers have hit the church yet. Uh, all four of my children uh, spent time learning to drive here at the church. I'd also take them to vacant parking lots, teaching them how to pull in and out of uh, parking spaces. I also taught them to uh, back into parking spaces before cars had the backup cameras that uh, we all take for granted these days. Eventually, we would go out on the roads, but, but not State Road 60, uh, at least not right away. We'd start out by Durant High School, uh, where there's very little traffic, and then we'd progressively move westward uh, in our outings as they felt more and more comfortable, or truthfully, as I felt more and more comfortable with them behind the, the wheel. Eventually, we'd venture on to State Road 60 on, and to I-75, and all the while that they're driving, I'm quizzing them, I'm giving them pointers, trying not to exasperate them as I do so. It is a big responsibility to take a 5,000-pound uh, missile uh, and turn it over to a child and let them have free reign of the road. Eventually, they're going to be out there all by themselves without their parents, and they need the training to be prepared. And so I say this because the last three years that Jesus has been with his disciples was a time of training for them. He had taught them privately. He had taught them as he taught the, the great crowds uh, in his preaching. He had corrected them many different times we've seen in the Gospel of Luke. We've also seen how he has encouraged them. 
uh, and at various times, he tested them. Remember in John chapter 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000? In verses 5 through 7 of John chapter 6, we read this, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Remember, this was 5,000 people or more. And then the scripture says, he said this, Jesus said this to Philip to test him. For he himself knew what he he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. In other words, Philip failed the test, but he was about to learn an important lesson that he would never forget. One of the most important lessons that Jesus gave to the disciples is recorded in uh, Luke chapter 9. He sent out the 12 disciples without him. He sent them out two by two, but Jesus stayed home. And he sent them out on these missionary journeys around Galilee. In other words, he sent them out to stretch them a bit, but they still had the training wheels on their bicycles. Uh, They were not going to fail because Jesus had given them authority over demons. He had given them power to perform miracles uh, and heal people. Even Judas was successful on this missionary journey. And so listen to his instructions to his disciples. Jesus called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. So he sent them out with no provisions so that they would learn to trust in God, that God would provide for them. But he's also sending them out among people who knew who Jesus was. The crowds, remember, were very pro-Jesus, and they would gladly welcome his disciples into their homes. So it had the effect of stretching his disciples because he sent them out with nothing, but it was encouraging to them because they were gladly received by the crowds. Notice that Jesus asked them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, Did you lack anything? And as Daniel just read for us, they answered, we lacked nothing. And Jesus is reminding them of God's provision because in verse 36, he is telling them that the training wheels are about to come off the bicycle. With his imminent arrest and death upon the cross, Jesus knew that his disciples' ministry experience would change drastically. They were going to be sent out on their their own, not just in the friendly confines or the familiar confines of uh, Galilee or Judah. In fact, those 
uh, the, the environment in Galilee and Judah was also going to turn against them. But he's going to send them out even to uh, the nations of the world. And they were not going to be welcomed into people's homes. Rather, they were going to be treated as outlaws. That's what Jesus is saying here in verses 36 and 37. He says, um, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled uh, in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. This was not a new teaching uh, that Jesus is laying upon the disciples. Uh, in Matthew 10, you'll remember that Jesus had told them that they would be hated by all people for his name's sake. He told them that when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Now, I want to say a word about the money bag and the knapsack and the sword that Jesus mentions here in verse 36. It's clear to me that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. As I've said repeatedly throughout our study of Luke, Jesus is not a rigid, flat, boring speaker. Rather, he's a master communicator. He's the king of metaphors. Jesus is telling his disciples that the time had arrived where they would go out into a hostile world and that they would need to plan carefully as they were doing so. They would need to think about and plan for their, money, their ministry funding, in other words, the money bag. They would need to plan for their food and shelter, in other words, knapsack. And they would need to provide and think about their safety. Uh, so the sword uh, representing uh, that basic need. Uh, we live in this same um, Christ-hating world that the disciples were sent into. Uh, we live in the same era where we need to carefully plan and think about uh, our ministry funding. Think about uh, food and shelter and our basic safety. Uh, we cannot presume upon God and forget about budgets and basic needs. And so, um, this does not mean, however, that uh, God has left us to our own devices. Okay, well, now you're off on your own. Go out and serve me. We're not on our own. Christ is not physically present with us. But he is at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. He has given his authority to the church. His spirit is present and is working in and through us. We can still expect God to supply our needs for the advancement and growth of his kingdom. We can believe with as much confidence as the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.19 when he says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God has not just kicked us out and said, Okay, go serve me. He is with the church. But he's sending us out 
without the training wheels that he had given to the disciples during that three-year ministry. You know, I think our danger, I'm afraid, is not that we um, are are in danger of presuming upon God, expecting him to provide without our, our doing any planning. But I think the danger for us is that we trust too much in our planning and in our resources. Sometimes we strike out in our ministry ventures with just a perfunctory prayer uh, because that's our habit, not with humble, dependent reliance upon God. You know, God is sovereign. He's already planned it out. Whatever's going to happen, he has ordained from eternity past. And so he loves us. We know he'll bless all our plans. And so we go forward without really fervently seeking his face. Can you see how that also is a form of presuming upon God? The real power source in the ministry is not our planning, not our wealth. It is the power of God. And we access his power through prayer. Prayer is the power source um, in ministry. I was reading Esther this weekend, and in Esther chapter 4, um, Esther is being urged by um, Mordecai to go and approach the king. And she knows this can be very dangerous. If she does so, the king, if she approaches the king without being invited, she can be put to death. And so, listen to how she depends upon God. She says in verse 14, or, or um, sorry, her uncle Mordecai says to her, and who knows whether you have, whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to king, to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish." Do you see how she is relying, casting herself on God? How is our prayer life as a congregation? Are we presuming upon God's sovereignty? Or are we relying on Him? When we lean upon God and not our own resources, when we pray, 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 and plan, 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 and go, 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 In God's way, we can know that God will always supply what is needed for his kingdom. If you're not convinced that I'm correct in saying that the money bag, the knapsack, and the sword are metaphors representing the basic needs in a missionary uh, ministry, I want to spend a couple of moments considering the swords. Uh, Because I think that's proof that Jesus is not telling the disciples to arm themselves um, with swords. This proof comes uh, a a few short hours later as Jesus is being arrested. And you know the story. Uh, In fact, you can look down to verses 49 through 51 in uh, Luke chapter 22. 
and I'll remind you of it. Beginning in verse 49, And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. In Matthew's account of this incident, Jesus goes on to say, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will also perish by the sword. So Jesus is not telling them, go arm yourselves with sword, forcefully press forward the kingdom of God, forcefully uh, go to battle and win souls for Jesus. The church is never, ever to do evangelism by violence or threat of violence. Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but rather we have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that is able to cut through uh, the arguments of the world, that is able to, to destroy strongholds of rebellion. And so that is how we are to go, not with swords, but with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So when the disciples... Uh, returning back to our passage um, in verses 35 through 38, um, the disciples, as Jesus has talked about swords, the disciples, well, they start taking an inventory of how many swords they have. In verse 38, um, one of the, the disciples pipes up, Look, Lord, here are two swords. Now, are two swords enough? No, two swords are pathetically insufficient for their protection or anything else. Jesus is not telling them that they have enough swords uh, when he says at the end of verse 38, it is enough. Rather, he is telling them it's enough of this talk about swords because they're missing his point. Not only are they missing his point about ministry experience changing dramatically? But they are also uh, so focused on the swords that they completely overlook what he said from Isaiah 53. Jesus says that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, in verse 37. And then he quoted from Isaiah 53, And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. You see what's going on here? Instead of perking up at the mention of Jesus fulfilling uh, an important prophecy that was made long ago, one of the disciples calls out, Lord, we have two swords! Our Lord Jesus died uh, on the cross for believers, even spiritually dull believers like his disciples. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that this particular scripture was fulfilled in him. In fact, he said it twice in verse 37. He said, for I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. Then he quoted the scripture from Isaiah 53, and then he said again, For what is written about me 
has its fulfillment. Now, since the disciples missed the point, and we can uh, detect a note of frustration in Jesus' voice, it would behoove us not to miss his point from Isaiah 53. Jesus is quoting from uh, the very famous and important passage in Isaiah that speaks about the suffering servant. In Isaiah 52, verses 13 through chapter 53, verse 12. In fact, I would like to ask you to turn there in Isaiah. It's found on page 613 in your pew Bibles. Isaiah 52, beginning with verse 13. And I'm not going to read the whole passage in the interest of time, but it's a glorious passage, and I would um, encourage you to spend a little time in, in Isaiah um, studying about the suffering servant. In fact, if you're not a Christian and are wondering why we Christians love Jesus so much, uh, this passage will enlighten you. Because this passage tells us what our Lord Jesus endured for us. Why our Lord Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. So Isaiah 52 verses um, 13 through 53 verse 12. Um, So in verse 13 it starts... And this is God speaking of his suffering servant. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. In other words, God says his suffering servant is wise. And God is very pleased with him. But men, well, men are not very pleased with him. In fact, men are not very impressed with Jesus, with the suffering servant. It says in verse 14, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Uh, Jumping on down into chapter uh, 53, halfway through verse 2, it says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. And rejected by men. Going on down uh, halfway through verse 3, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was so pitiful in the eyes of men that they thought that God was punishing him. That's what uh, it means. Halfway through verse 4 when it says, We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Remember Job when God was allowing Satan to afflict him and his three friends came and said, Well, God's doing this to you and it's because you're being unrighteous. Well, that's the, way, that's the sense here of verse 4. The people esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Well, there's some deep irony going on here uh, because God indeed was punishing Jesus, not because of Jesus' unrighteousness, not because Jesus deserved it, 
But God was punishing him for our sins. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He was chastised. He was punished. Not because he was deserving of punishment, but because of our sins. We're sinners. Or as uh, it says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, the next verse down, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Who among you is keeping on the straight and narrow path and has never veered to the right or left? Who among you is without sin? We've all turned to our own way. We've all sought our own path. We've all thought that our way was better than God's. We all have raised our fist in rebellion to God. We're all sinners. And the Lord Jesus, in our stead, bore our sins. The the second half of verse 6. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then he goes on to make this point several more times in verse 7 through 12. So you can look at the second half of verse 8 where it says he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Look at the, the, the second half of verse 10 where it says he makes or his soul makes an offering for guilt. Or at the end of verse 11 He shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear our iniquities. He shall bear your iniquities. And so this is the context of the passage that Jesus quoted back in our passage in Luke 22. Don't turn there yet because I want to see verse 12 here before we jump back into uh, our passage And so halfway through verse 12, Jesus says, or or the, the Isaiah 53 says, and he was numbered with the transgressors, which is what Jesus uh, quotes there. And the verse ends by saying, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Oftentimes, I think when we see this passage that he Um, was numbered with the transgressors. In our mind's eye, we might think of Jesus on the middle cross, and there was a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left. He was numbered among these transgressors. But that's not the point that Jesus is making. Jesus is saying that he was considered a lawbreaker before God so that we who are lawbreakers before God, could be justified before him. Jesus applied this passage to himself. He knew quite well what awaited him in the coming hours. He knew that he was headed to the cross. And on the cross, 
Jesus knew that he would not simply die, but that he would become a sin offering in our place. He took our sins upon himself. He was counted as though he himself were a sinner. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Which sins were placed upon him? All of them. Philip Ryken uh, says Christ took all the sins of his people, all our idolatry, all our murder, all our theft, all our dishonesty. And he could have gone on and on and on. And God punished him in our place. God did not pull his punch because Jesus was his beloved The full wrath and fury of God's holy hatred for sin was poured out upon the Lord Jesus as he hung there on the cross for you and for me. Christ was treated as an outlaw by God. He was numbered with the transgressors. And now we are treated by outlaws or as outlaws, by the various rulers and the cultures and the nations of the world because we are identified with Jesus Christ. But now, in Christ, before God, we are treated as dearly loved children because Christ paid the full penalty that our sins deserved. We have salvation In Jesus Christ alone. And so, to conclude, as we plan carefully to carry out the gospel ministry here at Westminster Presbyterian Church here in our community and throughout the world through our missionaries, let us be encouraged. God is for us. Whatever opposition we may face, however fierce it might become, God is for us. And so let us lean on him. Let us seek him diligently. Let us plan carefully using his resources and work, work, work for his kingdom as we pray together. Lord Jesus, as you sent the disciples out in your name, so you send us out in your name with your authority with your power, uh, through the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to lean upon you. Help us not depend upon ourselves. Help us not to uh, plan, plan, plan without praying, praying, praying. Um, Lord, we ask this in your great and holy name. Amen.